0: I'm Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment. Welcome to Farm Equipment's Used Equipment Remarketing Roadmaps podcast. In this episode brought to you by Iron Solutions, host Casey Seymour of Moving Iron LLC and 21st Century Equipment sits down with Clay Hall of Blanchard Equipment, a 16 store John Deere dealership with locations in Georgia and South Carolina. If this is your first time listening, you can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, or Spotify. By subscribing, you're alerted when each new episode's released. Let's listen in as Casey and Clay discuss how, unlike in the Midwest, the South had a very dry and hot start to the planting season this year, as well as how the market for used equipment for cotton has been a bright spot for blanchard equipment.
1: My guest is Clay Hall and Clay Hall is the corporate sales manager for Blanchard Equipment And I wanted to get Clay on and talk to him a little bit about the opposite side of the spectrum that we've been seeing uh, We have all this stuff in the news with the, with the flooding and the, and the non-stop rains in the, in the central part of the Midwest and, and, and Clay's fighting a different battle out there It's been hot and dry for pretty much the same amount of time it's been wet and cold here in the Midwest So Clay, welcome to the show
2: Hey, good morning, uh Casey. Glad to, glad to be on with you this morning.
1: I appreciate that. So before we get started, Clay, why don't you give a little background on yourself and, and how you uh kind of how your careers ended up to where you're at today?
2: Okay, sounds good. Um been in the under dealership business for nineteen years, uh started uh over on the parts counter, uh actually as a as a part time parts employee. Uh as we've gone through acquisitions over the years, uh moved into a Uh, sales role and then to a store manager role. And then about eight years ago into the corporate sales manager role. Um, And I've been doing that ever since. And uh, I really enjoy that. It's uh, it's no doubt a, a different challenge every day. uh, But, but certainly enjoy it and, and look forward to hopefully many more years to come.
1: Right on. Okay. Clay. So let's talk about what you see happening out there right now. So we're, like I said, when I started out here, it's been, you know, epic rains and, and coolness throughout the, the, the Midwest, uh, Corn Belt and Soybean Belt, and and, and even down south into the deep south into uh, Mississippi, Arkansas, Alabama, that area. But you're right on, the, on this different weather pattern that we're seeing out there in the southeast where it's been really hot and really dry. So why don't you talk about that a little bit and how that's affecting what you see happening out there?
2: Okay, sure. Um, I guess I'll give you a little bit of background as far as, as what the geography of our, our dealership locations look like, and, and kind of back into your question just a little bit. Uh, so we so we have 16 locations. Uh, we're evenly split. Uh, eight of those are in Georgia uh, on the eastern side of Georgia, uh, and then eight of those are in South Carolina. From a from a crop mix, um, we are we're heavily weighted in cotton. Uh, peanuts, soybeans, and corn. Most of our planting um, begins, of course, with corn. And then as we move into to cotton and peanuts, that's a, that's an early May sort of planting window. And then to answer your question, to make that relevant to your question, in our early spring um, and, and even into the early summer months, we, we just were extremely dry, Casey. We were, uh, I think, six to seven weeks in a row where we had zero rainfall. And we had about three weeks, three and a half weeks in a row that we were at 100 plus degree temperatures. Um, And that just doesn't, this doesn't bode very well for good planning and and good, you know, good, good beginning of a a planting season. So unlike many of my friends uh, in the Midwest where those guys were extremely wet and and stopped planting for that reason, uh, we were extremely dry and uh, hot and had to stop planting for that reason. After, uh, after we went through that spell uh, and finally got some, some moisture in the ground, you know, we, were, we were up and going again and planting. About 60% of our uh, acreage is irrigated. Um, the other 40 is not. So we, we lost quite a bit of, uh, of corn acreage uh, to, to the drought you know, that had already been planted, of course and it it's really stunned the growth on our on our cotton and, and peanuts as well it it's definitely had an effect uh, I guess we won't know that full effect until we get to harvest and uh, see what some of the yield impact has been
1: so what what is the uh what's kind of the mood of, of the customers that you're working with now I mean commodity prices are are kind of bouncing up a little bit from where they've been you know we have these kind of big swings a lot of volatility in the market right now, but it, I guess what's the overall temperature of your customer base
2: I, I would say it's a little bit better a little more favorable uh than it was this time 12 months ago the the movement in corn you know 450 corn doesn't doesn't change a lot of the rationale between for what we do over in in georgia and carolina because of the the lack of corn acreage compared to what you know what you guys do in in your side of the world but we probably monitor cotton prices more so than, than anything else and, you know, we're seeing cotton still in the mid-60s, and we, we really need to see a bump in that before we you know, before we get a lot of optimism, uh, you know, on the Georgia and Carolina side of the world.
1: All right, so cotton was the next thing I want to talk to you about, and I'm glad you brought that up. Um, and that is a huge part of, of any business in, in the southern part of the U.S., especially what we've seen over the past you know five years or so, I mean you had a stretch there where cotton was was kind of worthless and and there you couldn't get rid of a cotton picker and now you've got cotton to the point now where machines are really moving and you start to see some stuff um really become a it's getting to the point now where it is a uh Uh, I've talked to guys where they have waiting lists for for people wanting to buy used equipment and and, uh, obviously new equipment's allocated as well. But when you start taking a look at what's going around around the world and some other key growing areas of cotton, you got to have some little bit of excitement there that the cotton market's going to have maybe, even if it's just a temporary move, a temporary upward move in in prices. So I guess talk about what you see happening on the equipment side of the business and, and what you see going on and how that's affecting your business.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say that cotton uh, equipment has been a bright spot for us, um, at least for the last couple of years. Uh, To your point, a lot of that is relative to allocation uh, and how that's beginning to move the the pricing of used equipment in the right direction. Strangely enough, you mentioned the the comment of people having waiting lists I, I had a. A, uh, a neighboring dealer sent me a text this morning uh, asking me if they had any use pickers available that he could get, um, and and we don't. I think we're in the boat with many other dealers where we, you know, we've pre-sold all the trades and we're sitting here, and, and there, there simply is is much more demand than there is supply, and and that's nice. Uh, that's that's the first time we've been in that situation on cotton equipment in a number of years. Uh, I, I think that it's. You will know, we'll continue to keep the cotton picker pricing uh, strong as, as demand continues to be high and And to your point about other growing areas, other growing markets for cotton, you know I would like to think that, that there's some upside potential here in the next two or three years for cotton And you know, as long as uh, as long as allocation continues to stay in place, uh, demand stays high. I think for the most part we'll be able to to have a, a premium price on used cotton equipment
1: that's a, that's a good problem to have. You know, I, there for a while, you know, cotton pickers are one of those things that I don't have a lot of exposure to just because of where I'm, where I'm at. You know, when I worked back in Kansas, we had some, some stripper cotton down there. And, but very few, uh, very few machines running around. Wasn't a big deal till you got further South of us with the way that uh, wheat prices were going, stripper cotton got to be a bigger deal and you started seeing more, more uh, wheat acres getting, put into uh, cotton acres, uh, back down there. So did you see, have you seen a major switch in your crop mix from over the last couple of years into more cotton or as it stayed pretty much the same, the same mix you've seen over the last two years?
2: I, I would say that we have, uh, added a few more cotton acres. We've taken some away from peanuts and put it into cotton, you know, as for, uh, for your listeners that, that don't have any peanuts in their area that, that is a, uh, a market that's been challenged pretty hard here the last couple of years from a pricing perspective, very weak. And as we've seen, as we've seen that occur, uh, cotton has picked up some acres there. And I, I really foresee that, uh, you know, less peanuts rebound uh, considerably in the next year or two. That we'll we'll continue to put more and more acreage in the cotton locally, and, and see that area of our business continue to grow.
1: What's driving the, the peanut market to where it's it's been such a struggle to uh, to get good pricing?
2: the The bulk of that, Casey, uh, over the last number of years, the production of peanuts has been has been pretty strong. Uh, in, in some oh, okay. cases, much better than what they expected. So, I, I think that there is uh, I think there's a, a glut of peanuts sitting out there that has got to be consumed before we can get back to to having a reasonable uh, tonnage price.
1: I got you. All right. So, export market's always one of those things. I get I get guys all the time from Northern Africa, Southern Europe in that area where they're, where they're growing some cotton, China, India, excuse me, that are always looking for used pickers and, and strippers, mostly pickers. And so with, with this tight supply issue you have, what's the export market look like for used machinery? And is that something that, that uh, you've even explored with, with the current condition that you're in right now?
2: Yeah, we, we really have not looked at that at all over the last couple of years with machinery demand being as high you know, domestically as it's been. And, and the population of machines being as low as it's been, we, we haven't looked for that at all. To be to be totally honest, we, again, as I mentioned, the other dealer this morning, and I think many other dealers could probably sell uh, a number of used machines if they had them uh, in their possession to do that today. So definitely not not been a need. i um, certain in the future, as cyclical as the business is, it will be in the future, but uh, short term, I, I don't think we'll be looking to export any cotton equipment at all.
1: Right on. Okay, so the next question I had for you then was with the introduction of the uh the CP picker, oh uh, what's that been five years ago now, I guess? Maybe a little bit. Older. Yeah. Um that's right. Okay, so how's that affected the overall, you know, support equipment side of your business? We start looking at uh the number of tractors you needed to run, you know, bell modulars and, and stuff like that. How how's that affected the the sale of, of uh of tractors and, and how's that affecting your business?
2: Yeah, very very good question. I'll be the first one to say that when they when they first came out with the the Baylor-style picker, we were very, as a dealership and, and others as well that I spoke with, very uncertain uh, how a, a high-dollar machine like that would be accepted into the market. But it, it happened, and it happened much faster uh, than I certainly would have projected and, and, and to your point when you think about the number of supporting equipment uh, that's necessary now to to harvest cotton it is much different looking today than it was uh, you know back 10 to 15 years ago so for sure you know the the module builder is not necessary anymore bolt buggies aren't necessary anymore and when you think about going from a, a production system like that that takes, at least two or three tractors and, and those pieces of supporting equipment essentially down now just to one machine and, and, and an operator and then a tractor to, to move the bales around once it's once it's finished if needed. Uh, it, it definitely makes a difference. Uh, we In years past, we would have customers who would typically buy older, high-hour tractors uh, to do some of those functions with, and and that, that seems to be kind of eroding, to be honest with you, uh, as, as we go through this cotton kind of process. And I would say that, that sixty five to seventy five percent of our uh cotton producers now have made that transition into a, a roller type picker. So again, that's it's affecting how we sell tractors. Uh and now, you know, those those tractors have to go somewhere because we're continuing to trade them in. And that that kind of creates another challenge or another stumbling block for those machines.
1: Would your Two hundred plus horsepower tractor be kind of a, a pinch point in your inventory right now. Used inventory,
2: it is. Uh, if we look at it from a, a low hour perspective, uh, Casey, it's really not. But but we do have some concerns. Uh, to be totally honest, if you look at a two hundred plus horsepower tractor that's say six seven years old and thirty five hundred or more hours, that is a concern. We are we're watching that very closely. And uh, when we trade for those, we're being being very cautious on those.
0: We'll get back to Casey and Clay in a moment, but first a quick word from the company who made this podcast possible. Iron Solutions has deep roots in the ag industry with products for producers, dealers, manufacturers, ag retailers, and service providers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com to see solutions that streamline your operation, improve productivity, reduce costs, and speed your growth. Let's get back to the program now. As Casey and Clay continue their discussion on used tractor inventory, they also get into how leasing has impacted the market and the used planter and sprayer markets.
1: Are you seeing any kind of, of demand right now back into the Midwest where maybe someone is looking for that that cheaper used tractor that can maybe lease real cheap? Do you see anything like that coming back into the Midwest or, or over into the High Plains?
2: No, not so far. Not, not anything that's that high hour of a tractor. Uh, we we're having success, some successes with you know, with leasing with three, four-year-old tractors with reasonable hours, but it seems to us that once we get past that 3,500, 4,000-hour range, uh, there's it's just a real weakness in the market for that.
1: Leasing has been a uh, kind of good segue to my next question here, but leasing has been one of those uh, tools that have been utilized through this downturn uh, more than probably in, in the past in past downturns, just because of the uh, how people have accepted that back into the market as part of a tool when it comes to financing. So, how how's leasing played a, a role in your in your current uh, market, and and how do you how do you see it continued on into the future? Sure,
2: I don't think we have been any um, any exceptions to that rule as far as you know adopting that probably at a greater rate than, than we have in years past. We have, uh, over the years, have, have rented a lot of machines, uh, maybe a couple of months in the spring and then a couple of months in harvest. And it really probably carried more AR inventory than what we should have or what was healthy for the business. So we, we looked at, at the leasing piece as an opportunity to really scale back our ADAR inventory, but still offer the customer that had been doing those 4 months rentals between the spring and the fall a good, reasonable rate uh, to do a, a John Deere financial lease. That's exactly what we did, and to your point, it's you know that it's been aggressive for us uh, to be able to do that uh, to help us with our inventory. But again, it, it leaves the customer a very good option, uh, and, in, and in most cases, they are not spending any more on an annual lease than what they were spending with us on a four month rental during the, the scope of a year. I, I think we will continue to you know, to, to seek after lease uh, options for customers. I, I just think that it, it makes it makes good sense for us, helps us manage our inventory. Um, and then gives the customer, uh, you know, a way to, number one, have a, a low-priced option uh, for horsepower and for hours. But then it also helps us kind of uh, as a, a trigger point for future
1: trades to planters. Planters right now, there's a lot of stuff going on uh, with planters. It's that time of the year where early order periods open up across the across about all manufacturing lines. It seems like we're starting to see maybe a little a little bump in, in planter. Uh, Demand, especially uh, with some of these guys that've had planners for three or four years and have rebuilt them several times now and they're just looking at maybe upgrading what's your feel on the overall planner market and, and how's that how's that look for you guys down there
2: I don't disagree with your statement uh, We've got a good many planners uh, in our AOR that have some age to them and to your point have maybe been rebuilt once or twice just uh, it's probably time to, to make a transition to a new machine last year we had a, a reasonable planner EOP. It looks like this year is going to be about the same, if not a little bit better. But I really think it goes back to the age of the machine and just looking for some you know, some newer technologies and uh, some efficiencies in the field. And we were pretty well staged to have a, a very decent EOP on planners here uh, for the first,
1: first phase anyway. Yeah, I agree with that. So that's the same same things that we're seeing out here. I mean, it's just one of those deals where the high-speed planner technology, I think when it first came out, was no one really thought about it from – a, a the agronomics perspective outside of just going fast, and what you see now with how fast you can plant it, and what what your stand looks like, and what your you know spacing and 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 all the different stuff that come through it, it's really made a big difference in the way people think about planters. You know, it's just made a big jump in in their in their vision of what a planter can do. That's correct. Sprayers, also another thing that's out there right now that folks are are, are looking to to get orders on. Our sprayer market's been kind of the same uh, for the, for the past two or three years you know there's nothing not a big not a big difference with us being such a heavily demanded uh market on on the corn and and not necessarily soybeans but just corn and the way the market's been it's just been a a pretty steady flow of of sprayers there but this year we kind of see a little bit of a spike in what we've seen with sprayers are you seeing something similar out there or or how how uh how is your sprayer market compared to what's going on in the rest of the world
2: yeah, I would, I would agree with you on those comments too. I guess, to kind of preface the, the conversation on you. We were able to to move our used sprayer inventory much faster. That, that seemed to rebound much quicker for us than what we had ever expected. If you had asked me 18 months ago if I wanted to sell a new sprayer, I would not be very happy. Uh, but used have, have kind of washed through, uh, which leaves us in a much better position to be more aggressive on some new sales. And that's really where we're at. And I think it goes back to, to a conversation much like our planners. Uh, it goes to technology. We've sold a few x machines uh, over the last year. Or so that conversation seems to be much easier now and that seems to be driving uh, some sprayer sales. And we, we've seen a very good take rate on x uh, this year compared to the last couple of years. And, and again, I think it just goes back to a, a machine with a few years of age and uh, quite a bit of technology updates with Exact Apply and a couple of other things. That's 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 definitely driving demand.
1: Yeah, that Exact Apply is, is like you said. It's one of those things. the The willingness to adopt that when it first comes out is always on any new technology. What no matter what it is is always kind of slow. But once you see it in action, it, it does make it does kind of tell that story of efficiency that we all try to tell and and you know really limiting the uh you know the input costs that you put in there and, and, and the savings that come along with that. I think we had a deal where a guy tested it and, and on one uh circle in 120 acres he had he had two acres of overlap. That's a very uh very tight, narrow window there we start looking at the cost of inputs and, and what those what that little option can save you.
2: Yeah, you're exactly right. And I, I think, you know, as a dealership, we, we have to make sure that we're ready to to do demos and, and show the value-added opportunities of exact applying. It's definitely there.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things where you can, uh, it, it is an expensive option, but when you go back and, like just the example I gave you, you take that and you extrapolate that across the uh, the entire spray season. How much money did you save um, and how's that going to, uh, what's the option cost versus what it saves? It It, it, it pencils out at the end. Yes, it really does.
2: There's definitely some cost savings involved.
1: Okay, so as you take a look at what you see going through the spring here or the summer period that we see right now, and we're headed into that that late harvest season that we see coming up this fall, what are some of the positive notes you see happening out there what are some of the negative notes that you're kind of worried about headed toward the ends of 19?
2: Okay. As far as positive notes, I think we will continue to have uh, some strong row crop tractor business. I, I I don't say that that business is extremely strong. Uh, but for us, it does seem to have kind of flatlined uh, on a pricing perspective. And we're not seeing declines uh, as, as sharply as we were in the last you know, two, three years on on high horsepower row crop tractors. And so from a stability standpoint, I'm very pleased about that. I think that will continue. I think demand is going to continue to pick up some. As far as as far, as far as looking at negatives, we're not a huge combine dealer by any stretch. Uh, we're, we're not outselling dozens of new combines every year but we do have a few used ones still that, that are concerning to me uh, we, we just essentially don't have any activity on on combines and and that's that's certainly concerning and you're know, just looking at the overall market on combines and um, the, the population of used machines that are out there on machine finder and other other sources that that's concerning i'm number one with the machines that we have in stock today and you know how that will affect us selling new machines in the
1: future yeah i'm right there with you on the combine market man that's that's the one market that i have the most concern about and it's not so much for us but we sell a lot of combines you know we've got the one and two year old machines feel like there's a even the three-year-old machines feels like there's a, a fair amount of demand for those just for the hour range that people are looking for it's the when you get to machines that are about five years old and older, there are a lot of those machines out there. Just because there was a lot of them produced, and there's a lot of a lot of used used deal market out there. My biggest concern that I have with the uh, overall market in general is, you know, we've had a five year period here where, where it's been pretty tight and things have been have been pretty uh, there's not been a lot of profit made, so no one really traded the amount of equipment that they would have normally traded in that time frame. And uh, now guys are wanting to come in and trade stuff. And what we're seeing is uh, we are getting a lot of the same equipment with the same kind of hour range, and, and it's kind of all falling in that, that 12, 13, 14 model range. And whether it's tractors, combines, planters, whatever, sprayers, doesn't really matter. They're all kind of falling into that that same time frame. And that's my biggest concern headed into the end of the year, that there could possibly be a, a bubble being created here. And as uh, inventories become stagnant and there's not a, a lot of buyers for those uh, those older, higher-powered machines, we could see some some auction movement that could really drag the price of those equipment down.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you on that. I've, I've heard you make the comment in the past that it's, you know, to, and, and rightly so with, with conditions that we had, it's almost like we missed a trade cycle, you know, in the last three or four years, and, and now it's those... those problems are rearing their head uh and it's that that trade cycle looks like is getting ready to to come to us as dealers and yet the demand is so low for those seven eight-year-old tractors combines that you mentioned and and again we're uh we're looking at some pretty high hours on those machines the demand is so soft for that i simply don't know where those machines are going to go to in in the volumes that that we as dealer organizations across the country are probably going to have to trade for
1: i'm in the camp that whoever just figures out how to uh how to export those machines into areas that can that can pay for them that's always the hard part about export and any kind of volume is going to be a is going to have a, a pretty good uh, strategic position on, on on the overall market as a whole and what they're going to be able to do so it's but that export business is a, is a tough thing to figure out and it's not it's very fickle and it's hard to find solid partners to, to, uh, work with.
2: Yeah, you're exactly right. Finding, finding somebody that's, that's, um, a good partner to work with and, and, and giving us a good outlet, uh, that, that seems to be difficult. And, and then those pockets seem to try up almost as fast as they're created. Uh, so that, that's, that's a difficult position too.
1: Yeah. It's a, it is a, it's, it's the master chess game, man. You figure that one out, you're going to be a winner. So absolutely but until then we have to figure out how to do it here locally and and i'm uh i have my concerns about what that looks like going into the end of the year
2: yeah i don't think it's going to get uh much easier uh as we get to the end of the year i certainly agree yeah
1: that's right well clay we've had a good conversation here i appreciate you being on the podcast um if folks wanted to check out blanchard equipment and and what what was going on there how would what's the best way to do that yeah
2: absolutely uh the best way to uh check us out uh is on twitter or facebook and then Blanchardequipment.com is our website again thanks for having me on this morning it's uh, it's been a pleasure
1: yeah i appreciate it clay and uh look forward to talking to you with you in, in nashville coming up here in october
2: yep sounds great i'll see you then
1: all right clay take care
2: thanks casey
0: thanks casey and clay We've got even more used equipment remarketing resources that we're sending your way. In addition to this podcast, we're also tapping into Casey's expertise across all our informational channels. If you've got a question for Casey, I'd encourage you to head over to farm-equipment.com backslash asktheexpert, submit a question, and we'll get Casey's answer to it up on our Ask the Expert blog. Thanks once again to Iron Solutions for sponsoring this series. Iron Solutions provides dealers like you with an array of lifecycle management services that drive sales and profits the Iron Search and Iron Guide suite of solutions is all about managing each dealership more efficiently and profitably, while Iron Search allows you to directly showcase your used equipment online to a wider universe of buyers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com today. You can keep up on the latest industry news by registering online to receive our free newsletters. Visit www.farm-equipment.com. For Casey and Clay, as well as our entire staff here at Farm Equipment, I'm Kim Schmidt. Thanks for listening.